now. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do, so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This content factory we call The Rich Eisen Show. This is The Rich Eisen Show. And if you don't have a, a, a sense of excitement about this, I don't know what you're here for. The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Ryan Leaf. Can't tell you enough how much I love your show. Live, Live. from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Earlier on the show, Golf Channel host Rich Lerner. Packers writer for the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Pete Doherty. Coming up from Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim, plus Frank Isola. And now, sitting in for Rich, it's Ryan Leaf. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. I am uh, Ryan Leaf, uh, filling in for Rich, who is uh, spending some well-deserved family time. Um, joined by TJ Jefferson here, Michael Del Tufo on the ones and twos. Ryan. Chris hey, Brockman, uh, father to giant baby cage. Yeah, and um, also congratulations to uh, Rich's oldest son, Xander. He's at uh, graduation today. Yep. Yeah. Nice. That's why he's gone. That's why I got the call. Thanks, thanks Xander. Way to graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Give your buddy Ryan a chance <laughs> in the big seat here. Um, we talked about this a little earlier about the French Open. There's two uh, overlying. Um, storylines uh, here on this weekend, and I thought uh, it would be good to bring in somebody like uh, John Wertheim, who covers all things uh, tennis, and in particular the French Open, as well as uh, we're going to talk about his new book, Glory Days, here. We welcome John Wertheim to the show from 60 Minutes and Sports Associated. Hey, John, how you doing, buddy? Good, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. I, uh, uh, I'm really interested in this book of yours. I started looking kind of at the prospectus and uh, about this 90-day period you talked about in 1984, which was uh, a banner year for me. I was eight years old. I was really getting into sports. It was I was a Magic Johnson fan. Larry Bird was my dad's favorite player, so they were battling for the first time. Michael Jordan was coming onto the scene. Kind of talk to us about this book, uh, and, and Glory Days, that you recently written. Yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible amount of really important sports events happened that summer. I mean, you, you named two of them. I mean, literally a couple days after Bird beats Magic, Celtics beats Lakers for the first time in the finals, a couple days later, you've got the 84 draft, and this new commissioner guy, David Stern, goes up there and, and calls Bowie, Elijah, and Jordan in that order. And it was the same summer you had this crazy wrestling event that this guy, Vince McMahon, started that led to WrestleMania. Then you had an Olympics that actually – made some money, and you know, Wayne Gretzky finally wins his, his first Stanley Cup, and you sort of, ESPN, this, this all-sports network that people kind of like, but nobody really gets, 
they get sold to ABC and realize they can make a lot of money if they start charging a subscription fee, which, you know, sort of became their secret sauce. Um, you put it all together, and it's just this incredible summer that not just you, you had these sort of cool events and coincidences, but it really changed sports as we know it. I, mean, I kind of I use the uh, – Jordan's kind of my, my, my symbolic figure where he starts the summer as this kind of schlubby college kid who'd rather be going to school, but his coach is making him go to the NBA a year early. And he ends up, you know, driving around Chicago in a limousine with a gold medal around his neck and, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar signature shoe deal. And sports in general kind of traced that, that same arc that summer. The amazing nature of how sports have changed, and this may have been one of those catalysts, 1984, that really kind of put it uh, in that direction. We watched uh, the French Open take place over the two weeks at Roland Garros. Um, and um, to start it all off, we heard from Naomi Osaka uh, explain to the world, which has got to be incredibly difficult to do it in a transparent and vulnerable way, uh, as, as, as considered as one of the greatest tennis players in the world at this time, that she was dealing with some mental illness, uh, some, some issues around anxiety and some depression. And she talked about how it was... Uh, how it was exacerbated by the post-match uh, conversations with the media and things of that nature, and she was going to choose not to do that this year. And the immediate response from the organizers of the French Open was was a public shaming. And the backup from uh, peers as well as journalists, I think, helped qualm the issue. But then again, John, we watched this weekend, and for some inexplicable reason, the organizers for the French Open, when it was all said and done, felt it necessary to get the last word in and kind of publicly shame her again in front of everybody about how they did everything right and how this wasn't necessarily um, as bad as what uh, everybody was making it out to be. Uh, you, you nailed it. I mean, the, the idea of going through what had happened these last few weeks, and you finally get the chance to say, we're sorry, we acted disproportionately, we're now realizing that this is really about a, you know, a, a young woman who's in a bit of a damaged place right now and needs some time, and, and we've made too much of this. You, you have that opportunity, and you use it instead to double down. It's, um, well, welcome to tennis. I mean, it was, it was pretty disappointing, and it was, um, you, you wonder who's handling the, the crisis management there because to, to go through with everybody in the sport went through and come out of it and have uh, an open microphone to sort of say, 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 we're sorry we overreacted and instead basically say, yeah, no regrets here. Pretty, uh, pr pr pretty mind boggling. But I, I think you framed it really well, which is like, can, can you imagine that? Never mind 1984. I mean, just imagine 20 years ago, an athlete at the top of her game like that, making a declaration saying I'm, I'm dealing with anxiety and some mental health challenges. Um, the, the fact that it, Naomi Osaka felt comfortable enough to be so public, I, I think is one of the few, you know, if we're, if we're looking for silver lining here, the fact that she felt sufficiently comfortable and not stigmatized to be that forthright about what she's going through, I, I think maybe a little, little bit of a glimmer, but this was, this was not a proud moment for, uh, for, for tennis. It, it wasn't. And it, it, it is for her. It is for to your point, removing that stigma. And I've been searching for that for a long, long time. You know, I grew up in a cowboy culture in Montana and then in the, the locker rooms of the college football and the NFL. And I'd never, I never saw another man uh, step up and say, hey, I'm really struggling here. Uh, I need some help. Um, therefore, when it, 
and when it and it hit me and I was going through those things, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't know what to do. And what she was able to do in a moment uh, in front of the whole world, she just gave millions and millions and millions of young girls who struggle with mental illness or things of any nature the confidence to come out and do it and that's what should be applauded and that's what i would have loved to seen from the french open organizers about we applaud her for taking such a strong stance about her medical and mental health uh this is going to go a long ways in how we go about things and how we help people in the in, in the future I'm totally with you, and I would say she also provided some vocabulary. Yep. You know, I mean, I think people have probably been struggling with what she's struggling with, and just didn't know how to uh, how to characterize it. I mean, I think one of the dirty secrets here is these press conferences. Yeah, it's about the media, and you get some quotes, and it helps publicize the tournament. But also, you, you know, when like Belichick stands up in front of the Dunkin' Donuts uh, placards, you, you look at the French Open, and they've got. BNP Perry, you know, they've got a bank behind them. They've got oh, yeah. sponsored water bottles. I, I think this is a, a lot about a tournament saying, wait a second, we, we sell these sessions. This is part of what we make money off of. This is like uh, bonus DVD footage. We put these clips on social media and everyone can see our sponsors. I, I think people may have overlooked that the tournament has a real financial interest. This isn't about First Amendment and media rights as much <laughs> as it's about protecting something that has value to the tournaments. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I was surprised that all the tournaments reacted the way they did. I thought it was really out of proportion. I think if you knew Naomi Osaka, you knew she wasn't. You know, this wasn't the entitled athlete who was trying to buy her way out of an obligation. This was a, a damaged individual. This is someone dealing with, with some issues who is sort of spiritually broken right now. I thought it was really clumsy the way they responded. But the then, two weeks after, to not douse the fire, but basically double down on uh, what had been such a flawed approach. It was It was pretty stunning to read those quotes. It was. It was definitely. Thank you for your contribution there. John Wertheim from 60 Minutes in Sports Illustrated. Let's let's go to the men's draw, the men's side of things. Um, I, I was having, a, I was at a, a three-year-old's birthday party on Sunday, and uh, I looked at, uh, um, you know, the feed on ESPN, and I saw that Novak, uh, Djokovic came back from two sets down to to win in three, and I just thought it was so impressive. And I've always really enjoyed his tennis. And during a generation of tennis with Federer and Rafa, and now him, thought it was so impressive. His 19th Grand Slam title. But then I had I mentioned it to a couple other parents at the table there, and I said Novak came back and won. He won the French Open, and all of their reactions were like, oh, 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 and <laughs> and he arguably in a year or two. We'll have more Grand Slam victories than anybody else because he's it's most likely Roger and Rafa are gonna are, are done at twenty. They may you know uh, it may be a, a resurrection somewhere at, at some time, uh, especially at the French Open for Rafa. But Novak has a chance to be the greatest tennis player of all time, and I've never seen somebody who was in the goat conversation be disliked as much as him. Is that something you felt on tour, or is that just more of a thing uh, kind of Americanized over here where we've seen it publicized uh, with his behavior and everything like that? Um, or is that actually something that's that's a, a real feeling out there on the tour? Oh, man. Um, it's, it's a live issue. It's a great question. And I feel like, you know, I mean, you, if the guy in Serbia could run for president tomorrow, and, right. I mean, he certainly has pockets of popularity. I, I wish I remember, I credit them. I wish I remember who's 
So, someone compared Djokovic to sort of like the Detroit Pistons, right? So you've got the so you got the Lakers and the Celtics. You got Bird and Magic. You sort of pick your tribe, and you had that with Federer, Nadal, and you know the, the truth is you really kind of like the other one too. And all of a sudden, here comes this party crasher, and they're not particularly, you know, artistically pleasing. I mean, it's it's, it's not quite Detroit bad boys tennis, but sort of like, who's this third guy wrecking up this this nice rivalry we had? So I, th- I thought Djokovic sort of always had that against him as like the third guy to the party. Um, he does some things that aren't necessarily always so so admirable, but he's he's not like the bad boy of tennis. I mean, he's he's a nice guy, and I think one thing is really kind of wild is. He, he really wants to be liked. I mean, it, it would crush him to hear what you just said from that birthday party. Like, he wants everyone to like him. If he just said, you know what, I'm, I'm Jimmy Connors or whatever, I'm, I'm Mike Tyson and, you know, like me or hate me, I don't care, it would be easy. He really wants affection. He really wants Roger Federer's popularity level, and I think that only kind of makes people withhold it. Um, so, it's yeah, it's a weird thing. I mean, this guy is um, this guy's going to retire with the most majors, he has a winning record head-to-head against the other two guys. He's, I mean, just sort of, you name, more weeks at number one. You sort of make the, the statistical case, and it's really hard not to conclude that he's the best ever, but there's just that lacking element personally among so many fans that, you know, you, you suspect Djokovic himself would trade in a few of those majors for a little more popularity. Yeah, just be the pro wrestling heel. Right. But he, he doesn't want that. So it's it's a weird thing where in terms of tennis, he's incredible. In some pockets he's very popular, but he hasn't been able to equal what Federer and Nadal have done in terms of sort of appeal. And you kind of feel like it's it, it really bothers him and you know, who who knows? I mean there's there's time maybe he turns it around. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Where the older athletes get the more affection we have for them and you start off as the villain and end up as the hero, but yeah, it's a real wrinkle in this, that he's doing amazing things as a player, and he just hasn't got the public affection the way the other two guys have. We're speaking with John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated Executive uh, Editor, as well as the 60 Minutes correspondent. Well, let's talk about the play. Uh, you, know, th- you know, pretty much dominated in that second set, and then, uh, you know, he flipped a switch again and went on to beat uh, his opponent, who was looking for his first Grand Slam victory uh, in in the next three sets. Uh, his last two matches at the French Open, four hours and eleven minutes each. His dominance, his stamina, uh, he he is he is setting the stage for him being considered the greatest tennis player of all time, and he continues to do it. Are you are you an MMA fan by any chance? I am. So there there is no hole in this guy's game there is no weakness there is nothing that he can't do just as well as everyone else and that makes him i mean it's not even a separate category i mean all the fact that he has no weakness makes him so mentally strong and he just goes out there assuming whatever you're going to throw at him you you may have him in a really you may get him in a triangle but he's going to uh, figure out a way to get out of it and once he gets that one whiff of weakness once he senses your doubt it's game over and there's just, I mean, it's just nothing. You sort of say, how, how do I beat this guy? Because there is just no hole in his game. He's as good on the ground as he is in stand-up. He's as good serving as he is returning. There's nothing he doesn't do just as well as the other guy, and that gives him this sort of mental impregnability. So uh, he, he's a really, really hard guy to beat. And it, I, I don't know if it's stopping anytime soon. It's so much fun to watch. Uh, uh, we want to thank uh, John 
Well worth time for joining us. Uh, go out and uh, grab his book, Glory Days, about the 90 days in 1984 that really changed sports and culture together. John, thanks for taking time to be with us today uh, and talk to a little tennis with me. You got it. That was fun. Thanks, man. You bet. John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated in 60 Minutes. Uh, uh, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Frank Isola uh, from SiriusXM NBA Radio, Brooklyn Nets studio analyst, to talk about the big Nets game tonight and Harden being back. I'm Ryan Lee filling in for Rich Eisen here on The Rich Eisen Show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you struggling to close deals? Business to business selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you could find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's one billion member platform sales navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter right now you can try linkedin sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com direct that is linkedin.com direct for a 60-day free trial let linkedin sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today just go to linkedin.com direct and get started Good to see you, Shaquille O'Neal. How are you, sir? Before we get started. Yes. If I take this home, will I get arrested? The Vince Lombardi trophy? Is this the real one? Or that's the real one. That's a real Vince Lombardi trophy. I don't know if that's the one that's going to be given to the Rams and the Patriots this weekend, but that is a real... You want to, you want to lift it? Well, if I lift it, I want to take it home. No, if you... Well... <laughs> <laughs> then I think we're then I think we're at uh, a crossroads here. Actually, we're not at a crossroads. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Okay, sure. I'm not a lawyer, but I watch a lot of law shows. Okay. I got about 50 witnesses that see me hit my head on your set. Oh. So if you just give me this, I'll let bygones be bygones. So, so it's a liability issue yes, for me is. yeah. that turns into an even worse liability issue. I don't want to have to call it the Shaq Eisen show. I know, I know that. Just, just I know like, that. All you got to do is just give me this, and I put it next to my own. I'm, I'm, beautiful. I'm doing the math in my head as to how much you'd be suing me for personal liability as to how much this trophy costs, which I've been told is around $22,000. Well, I'll be suing you for $23,000. <laughs> you want to lift it? No, I don't want to touch it. Okay, you sure you don't want to touch that? Bad luck. Bad luck for you or for... No, to touch the trophy when you don't earn it. I like that. Yeah, my father used to always... Are you serious? Yeah, he always used to... Because, you know, like when you're a kid, you get the trophy from a local local trophy shop. Sure. You'd be like, if you listen to me, guys, you get this, you want to touch it, don't touch it, it's bad luck, you got to earn it. Right. So, so that's you, why. That, that's why. Like, you know, how, like in the NBA, when you win the Eastern Conference or Western Conference, they give you those little trophies. Yeah. I never touched it. 
Never. I never touched it and I never celebrated. I, I remember Phil did that too, right? Didn't yeah. you like when you guys won the Western Conference Finals yeah. of one of the many times you did? Yeah, I never touched it. I never never looked at it, never celebrated. This is beautiful though. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful trophy. Yeah. Do you do you get a replica? Because you know NFL players can get like a mini replica of this. Do I you got, get I got four replicas of and, the Larry O'Brien trophy, and I gave them to my father because growing up he used to always take my trophies mm-hmm. and let me celebrate it one or two days, and then he put them away. So finally, I got enough courage to ask him why he did that, and he said he never wanted me to be satisfied. So after he passed away, I went and retrieved all my trophies from from little league, high school, college, and I put it in a room in my house and I dedicated them. So now, like if you go, you, you you get to see like all my trophies. But I would win it. I'd celebrate it one two days, and I, you know, me and him would have dinner, and he would say thank you very much, and he put it there. <laughs> and I come back like the next week. Hey, Dad, let's go to dinner. Like, where's the trophy? I don't know. Go get another one. <laughs> that was the thing. And then you did. Yeah. And then you and would. Then you would. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. I am Ryan Leaf, filling in for Rich. And with me, as always, TJ Jefferson, Michael Del Tufo. Ryan. Chris Brockman. I have two healthy hamstrings. So that's important as, <laughs> that's we, important as to we know. finish the last hour of this show. <laughs> well, that's the biggest question we have for our next guest, Frank Isola from uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio, as well as the Nets uh, studio analyst we're going to welcome in here to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and whether or not James Harden is good to go with that hamstring tonight. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Good. If somebody over there has a healthy hamstring, maybe they could, you know, do something or just suit up. How about that? The Nets could probably use. <laughs> I got I got two healthy hamstrings. I'm six foot seven, two hundred and thirty five pounds. I could probably get you four minutes tonight <laughs> and here's the key ryan when you have the ball yeah just look for number seven and pass it to kevin durant because there's a good chance he'll get an assist so you'll show up in the box score in a positive in a positive manner. you know what i'm gonna get six fouls and two assists i think and i think i'm a good to go <laughs> nba guy for tonight um they might take it so um this was news right early on in the day uh there news came out that said james harden was doubtful uh, that didn't seem good. And then just about, oh, uh, 20 minutes ago or so, we get news that unless something goes wrong during warm-ups tonight, uh, we're going to see James Harden play in Game 5 against Milwaukee um, tonight uh, after losing Kyrie Irving uh, in their last game in Milwaukee. Yes. you know, I don't know how much of that is gamesmanship, maybe giving um, the Milwaukee Bucks something to think about. If James Harden is able to play, that's obviously great. How effective he'll be is another story. You have to remember, if you go back to early April, he suffered that hamstring injury. I believe it was on April 7th that he came back, like May 12th. So he was gone for a long time. And then 43 seconds into the opener against um, Milwaukee, he pulled up lame, and he hasn't been seen since. Now, he didn't. The claim was that he didn't practice yesterday. So I don't know how well you know he'll be able to play if he's going to try to start. Remember, you know the Lakers tried something similar. With Anthony Davis, when he went out there, that was different. That was a groin injury, and he only had one uh, couple of days off before he played between hurting it until playing, and he clearly didn't have it. So, you know, are they looking for Harden to provide inspiration? Are they looking for maybe him to play a couple of minutes, stick him on the bench in uniform if they need him at some point? Or is it gamesmanship? I'm not exactly sure. But, you know, the Nets know, you know, they're in a pretty dire situation because Milwaukee is playing a little bit better, and if Milwaukee can get, can get a win tonight, 
you know, you're going home for game six. And that's the other thing, Ryan. These games now, they're coming every other day. It's not like, you know, sometimes in the NBA playoffs, you get two days off, sometimes even three. They're going to play every other day, game five to six. And then if there's a game seven, Friday would be the off day and Saturday would be game seven. How the Milwaukee Bucks performed after the first two games, because this is a completely different conversation. You know, but two games ago, I was telling people that the Nets were going to win the NBA title. There was just nothing that was going to get in the way of that. And then you watch, uh, you think in game three, okay, they found a way to get it done at home. You got to give them a ton of you know, credit for being prideful and everything. But then they get another win and they lose Kyrie Irving. I mean, unless James Harden can give a substantial uh, amount of time and effort and um, efficiency uh, in a game five and game six, is are, are we looking at the Brooklyn Nets uh, possibly being... Uh, you know, one and done here in the uh, uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that would be a major disappointment for them, especially the way that they played. You're 100 percent right. You know, by you know when they won Game Two against Milwaukee, up to that point they were six and one in the playoffs, and they were clicking on all cylinders even after they lost Harden in the first 43 seconds of Game One. But you know, if you go back a couple of years ago in 2019 in the conference finals, Milwaukee won the first two games against Toronto, going away. Game three in Toronto was kind of a nip-and-tuck game, and uh, Toronto ended up winning it in overtime. One game four, they went back to Milwaukee for game five, and Milwaukee did not play well, ended up losing that game, lost the series in six games. It feels almost the reverse of this now. That's why, you know, for as much pressure as there is on the Brooklyn Nets, and when you put a team like this together, you know, the result needs to be getting to a finals at the minimum. You know, winning a championship obviously is what they want, but getting out of the East, you know, is is a starting point. But for the Milwaukee Bucks, there's pressure because two years ago they flamed out uh, after winning the first two games in the conference finals. Last year they went out in the second round against Miami. Giannis got hurt in that series. It was a disaster. And now here they are back at 2-2. They're for the most part healthy. I know they don't have Dante DiVincenzo, but their three main guys are healthy. And the three main guys for the Brooklyn Nets, one isn't going to play. The other one is limited, obviously. And you have Kevin Durant, who's really, you know, has not even played 50 games yet in a Nets uniform, 35 during the regular season, whatever it's been thus far in the playoffs. I guess it's been nine games. So he hasn't even hit the 50-game mark. And you know his minutes are going to be up there. So if you're Milwaukee, your opportunity is now. You don't know how many times you're going to get chances like this. You have to take them when they come around. So, yes, there's pressure on the Brooklyn Nets. But to your point, to me, there's a lot of pressure on Milwaukee Bucks as well. Yeah, I I, I think it would be for, for these teams. We look around the league and we watch the Atlanta Hawks even the series with the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid has a uh, just history-defining bad second half to even that series up. And then we saw the Clippers. Uh, let's let's talk about the Hawks first. Did they figure out something, or is this just going to be a brutal battle for them to try to win games and, and get through this series? Yeah, that was, that was impressive for them because if you look at Bogdanovich and um, Trey Young, they did not have a great scoring uh, game. In fact, I think the two of them were a combined 17 of 50. So they didn't shoot well. So I know that Embiid didn't shoot well, but Atlanta didn't shoot well. They were down 18, rallied and came back. Trey Young has been the breakout star of the playoffs. I don't think there's any question about it. And for Embiid, everyone knows that he's carrying that knee injury, but he did go over 12 in the second half, and it was uh, you know just under 10 seconds ago when he missed that layup. You know, for a guy of his caliber, you have to be able to finish around the rim. I get it. You know, if, it's, if he's struggling a little bit. He can't elevate, whatever whatever the case may be. You st- it's a layup. You, you have to be able to convert that. And that's big for, you know, that's a tough, tough loss for Philadelphia. And also the same thing now. You know, you're playing every other day. It's not going to be easy for Philadelphia because now they know they're going back 
to Atlanta. Atlanta's been one of the more you know young and exciting teams all season in the NBA, and they've been playing at a different level. You know, without Danny Green there, and if Embiid is you know going to continue to struggle, I give Atlanta a pretty good chance to win two out of the last three games. All right. Well, uh, I'm excited, looking forward to that. And then out here in LA, we. You know, what are, we, what are we to think of the Los Angeles Clippers? They absolutely like they don't belong in the first two games of the initial series with Dallas. They don't look like they belong in the first two games against the Utah Jazz. And then last night, at one point, I looked at the ticker and they're up 40 to 17. So did they figure something out? Or is this just going to be a game to game scenario where we don't know what the Clippers are actually going to bring to the table? I know as soon as you want to buy into them, then they'll end up disappointing you in game five. You know, Utah's still in control from that standpoint. They have the two home games. But, you know, when you look at the Clippers, they do have a lot of experience. Kawhi's been a two-time finals MVP. Paul George has been in big games, you know, wherever he's been. I also think the key to that team, it seems like whenever Marcus Morris is knocking down shots, that seems to change everything. So both Paul George and Kawhi at 31 last night, but I believe Marcus Morris at 24 and he hit five three-pointers. That always seems to be a big difference. And yes, you know, Donovan Mitchell keeps scoring a lot, but he's also taking a ton of shots. So they've kind of figured things out in terms of making things difficult for Donovan Mitchell. And the Clippers, the Clippers have more talent. I know like their regular season wasn't great and they look like they were on the verge of getting knocked out, but the way they're going now, I would not be shocked if you see them in the NBA finals. Speaking of the NBA finals, uh, the Phoenix Suns look like the best team in basketball right now. They've swept uh, the Denver Nuggets and the reigning MVP. Uh, Chris Paul and, and Booker and DeAndre Ayton look the part. My question about sweeping and watching these other series continue to go and possibly could go seven games, is this going to benefit the Suns? I think it would probably for Chris Paul, who's a little bit older. But for guys that are hot, that are playing really well right now, uh, is this going to be a good layoff or is it one that's going to need a little jump starting when they get back at it? I think you said it. I think for Chris Paul, it's probably good. I think Monty Williams would rather have his team out there, get a couple of days off, and then just start playing the Western Conference Finals. But obviously that's not going to happen. But, you know, they, they've changed so much about their team. And I think, you know, last year at the bubble, you wondered, like, you know, they were, they were invited to the bubble because they needed to go undefeated and they need other things to happen for them to, you know, get into the playing game. Well, they, you know, held at their end of the bargain. They did go 8-0. They didn't make the playoffs. But I wonder if having kind of that like mini camp, you could almost call it, in July wasn't one of the best things that could happen to them. And obviously getting Chris Paul was really the good thing that happened to them. I think playing in those important games last year in the bubble got this team rolling. And it's, I, I find it interesting, you know, everybody you know, kind of kills the regular season. Oh, it's meaningless, this and that. I don't think Phoenix thought it was a meaningless regular season. And now you look where they are. You know, they're in the conference finals, and they had the second-best record in the NBA and three of the last four teams standing in the East are the, the, the top three teams, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. So, you know, when push comes to shove, the regular season still means something. And I think that Phoenix, using those games during the regular season to get better, for Chris Paul to kind of learn some of the teammates that he was with and holding them to this really high standard. I mean, this is a franchise. Let's think about it, Ryan. They didn't make the playoffs for 10 straight years. And here they are. They're absolutely rolling. They've already knocked off LeBron James and the Lakers, and they knocked out – uh, the reigning MVP now, Nikola Jokic, and they won both closeout games on the road. They've, they've had an unbelievable year. They're rolling. And to your point, I think for some of these guys, having a long break isn't going to be a good thing. All right, Frank. Frank Isola here from uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio, as well as the Brooklyn Nets studio analyst. Um, who's, who's the favorite right now? I mean, with all that we know, uh, what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets, 
Who's the favorite to win the NBA title uh, as of today? That's a really, really good question. I would say because they're healthy, I would probably put my money on the Clippers, but obviously that could change because we've seen how many guys. I mean, it's amazing how many players have gotten hurt thus far in the postseason. If if Harden comes out there tonight and he looks 75% of James Harden, then I might think about the Brooklyn Nets, but I, I just have my doubts. I mean, the guy hasn't played now in about a week, and that's a hamstring that bothered him for a month, so I'm a little worried about the Brooklyn Nets. That's interesting. You know, the Clippers have been the most Jekyll and Hyde team in this year's playoffs, yep. too, but they continue to have the stars, right? You got Kawhi Leonard, who has been in this situation before, has taken teams to title, has won an NBA title with the Toronto Raptors, everybody. Um, he's right there. Um, we're talking with Frank Asola from uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio. Frank, we really appreciate you joining us. Good luck to your Nets tonight. Let's see what Harden has to offer when it's all said all and done. Right, thanks. thanks again, bud. Thanks. Thanks, Frank. Keep up the good work. Take care. Yes, sir. All righty. Frank Cl- Isola. Clippers, huh? TJ, uh, your reaction hearing that? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction, TJ. Exactly that. Uh, wow. What? Great. Awesome. You talk to t- two other people and they'll tell you it's somebody else. So, yeah. Well, right now, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a betting man, which I tend to think I am. You know um, betting people. I love betting people. <laughs> I don't necessarily like betting money, therefore I don't. I just like to bet people, you know? It doesn't cost me anything. I can be the winner when it's all said and done, and when I lose, I can just be like, what are you talking about? It doesn't mean anything. Um, I, I like the Phoenix Suns. I mean, how could you not? I, I kind of am with you. I right? like them as well, yeah. I would love, I would absolutely love Chris Paul to win a world title in his, like, 20th stop. Uh, he's got some great guys around him. Uh, Monty Williams, the head coach there. I would love that. I would love that for the city of Phoenix. What was so cool this year, and I was going to ask Frank about the Lakers and just how it ended and what that looks like and whether or not LeBron can get it done against the the, the Toons this summer, if that's going <laughs> to impact next year for him. It would be terrible if he got injured against uh, against Bugs uh, this offseason. Um, but the fact that there could be a, a world champion this year who has never never won a world champion, that franchise, right? Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks never have. The Brooklyn Nets never have. Phoenix Suns never have. The LA Clippers never. The last team to do it, Philadelphia 76ers, 1983. Moses Malone, um, the Julius Bucks, Irving, Doc. The, the Bucks did win the title. Though. Kareem they have? Has, yeah. That was Kareem. Kareem way back in the day. Okay, sorry. I apologize. So Milwaukee, you can't win Kareem it this year. I'm sorry, guys. But it's been 50 um, years, I think. It's right now, it's about the yeah. Brooklyn Nets, yeah. the Phoenix Suns, and the LA Clippers. Everybody, Atlanta Hawks as well. You can you could throw your hat into the ring there if you wanted to. But I want, I want now the Phoenix Suns to win the world championship in the NBA. I think that would be incredibly special um, for where they were to where they've come and how hard they've worked together. So let's see if that if that goes that way. Um, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some some birthdays and what that means in terms of what some urban myths look like and the very mention of the name Wade Boggs and uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What do those things have in common and whether or not uh, it's something that you believe could actually happen? Uh, we're going to put that to the test when we come back. We're also going to talk about the NFL Uh, You're listening to The Rich Eisen Show. I'm Ryan Lee, filling in for Rich. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash westwood1. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash westwood1 now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash westwood1. Philadelphia Eagles, we have that to talk yes. about too. Yes, as I'm draped you in are. my Eagles paraphernalia. Now that yes. that's like you got so you got the green hoodie. Yeah, I went green hoodie, and then I went satin black jacket oh, I just with a black eagle on it. This is subtle. <laughs> yeah, this is subtle. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to come here and be, yeah. you know, blatant with it. This is a subtle. Yeah, I didn't notice it. It's sort of like a watermark yeah. sort of situation that yeah. you have right but then there. Then you get up close and you're like, whoa, he really is an Eagles fan. He's got a lot. <laughs> yes, he's got a lot of Eagles stuff on. I'm wearing a jersey to the Super Bowl with the Jerome Brown patch. That's what you're gonna do. Yes, okay. I got the Randall Cunningham jersey, but my jersey has Jerome Brown patch. Well, what will it say on the back? Will it say heart? Will it say your no, name? No, it's going to say Cunningham. It's a real jersey. Okay. I can't make it say heart. I'm no longer authentic <laughs> if I make it say heart. It's got to be a real jersey. This okay. is a real moment. Understand. It's a big moment for me, man. It's, it's um, a big game. What do you think? What do you mean, what do I think? The score's going to be 80, <laughs> 83 to 6. I called it. I put my prediction out there a long time ago. Okay. I Eight. had a dream. I saw it. And how many to that? So how many touchdowns then for Nick Foles then out of that? Nick Foles going to throw for 32 touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> 32. Trying to do the math in my head right now. <laughs> 32 touchdowns. Yeah, that is. We're, we're, we just put I, your. I didn't your, want to show. 83 to 6. Yeah, I didn't want to show if my math was good or bad, and so I just threw a number out there. I think I made I like the it. ballpark. Here's what people need to understand about the Patriots right now. And I know there's a lot of New England Patriots fans, there's a lot of Tom Brady lovers out there, as you should. Okay? They're not running over the NFL. They, they didn't breeze through these playoffs. They shouldn't have beaten the Jaguars. They shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. They did, yeah. but they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have displayed this, oh, my God, they're just, nobody's going to be able to deal with them. They're, 
our defense has been an amazing defense throughout the whole season. I really see our defense and our front four getting to Brady. If we get to Brady, it's going to be a problem. And we run the ball very well. It's going to be a grinding game. And Foles is going into this game with so much confidence. After the last game, he's got so much confidence. I don't care what you say. You can't beat confidence. You know how much confidence I have? Yeah. You can't beat my confidence. I don't care what you tell me. I'm so confident. I'm so confident. Foles has confidence. Our defense has confidence. We are here. This is where we said we would be in the beginning of the season, and we got here. That's confidence. They're used to being here. That's cocky. That's that's a little nonchalant shoulder shrug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. It's not the same type of confidence. It's not the same type of hunger. It's a different level of hunger. And these dogs got to eat. Get it? Because they was calling us underdogs. Yes, <laughs> I know. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. I am your guest host for the day, filling in for Rich, Ryan Leaf, uh, alongside my friend TJ Jefferson, Michael Del Tufo, Ryan. and Chris Brockman. All What's right, up, Chris. Brian? What's up, Brian? We were talking pre-show, thinking about some ideas. Yep. Uh, you know, we always tend to look at birthdays. We tend to look at uh, this day in history in the past, some pretty cool things, right? Bull Durham. Yeah, anniversary of Bull Durham today. Uh, 33 years ago, Bull Durham was released. One of one of my favorite movies. Uh, one of the best sports movies of all time. Baseball, of course. I like slow, wet kisses that last. That last three two days. weeks. Was it three <laughs> that days? Last three days. Three days. Yeah. What do you believe? That could be kind of. What do I believe in? What do you believe in? I believe in the soul. Believe in the soul. The curveball. The hanging slider. Good fiber. Good scotch. <laughs> Scotch, the novels Scotch, of Scotch. Susan Sontag are so, so again, overrated crap. So again, right, we, I go on social media, and, uh, and I've been begging uh, our talent booker every time I, I come on here and guest booker that uh, you got to reach out to Will Farrell, everybody, because, again, I've been told I sound like Will Farrell on, on the show. <laughs> now, do I sound like Will Farrell or do I sound like Ron Burgundy? Because that's, that's, those are kind of two different right, things. right, right. I don't see that personally, and maybe other people do, but I, I don't. Maybe it's because I know you. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I would love the next time I'm here to have, uh, you know, a hero of mine, uh, Will Farrow, uh, join the show, and we could do a blind taste test for the audience. <laughs> just a sound off. Yeah, we could just kind of do a little sound off. We could <laughs> we could have a, a, a certain script of lines to read, and then the audience can decide. We'll do it. We'll do it. You know behind behind glass or something like that and the audience can decide whether or not is it will or is it ryan (laughs) (laughs) the arsonist was denied a bank loan i think is is how it goes the human torch was denied the human torch human torch was was denied denied a bank bank loan loan. (laughs) san diego what does that even mean what does that even mean you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Well, the human, yeah. That's the best one, right? I could do that one probably the best. I do it from time to time I, when people are like, you know, hi, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal here, you know. People <laughs> know me. People know, know me. me. <laughs> I have a library full of leather-bound books that the Batman smell King of Baxter. rich, be- rich <laughs> mahogany. mahogany. <laughs> Merlin Olson visits well, uh, from time to I'm time. I'm friends with Merlin Olson. I'm friends with Merlin Olson. 
I want to be on you. I want to be on you. Like such a random. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I want to be on you. So anyway, we were talking uh, pre-show. We were looking at the birthdays and just kind of rattling out like a big celebrity birthday day, like Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Jim Belushi, Helen Hunt, Helen, Courtney Cox, Ice Cube. We played a throwback clip from Ice Cube earlier today. And uh, Wade Boggs. Hall of Fame, third baseman. Hall of Fame mustache, too, right? I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. Hall of Fame oh, mustache. Yeah. Uh, Boston, New York. Has 3,000th hit, a home run with uh, Tampa Bay. But I, when I think of Wade Boggs, I think of two things. I think of how much I hate him because he oh. rode a horse for the Yankees oh, after great. winning a World Series. Yeah. And I think of one of sports' great urban myths of him drinking 64 beers on a cross-country flight from New York to Los Angeles. It's one of the great, uh, like I said, sports myths, urban legends, whatever you want to call them. Uh, It sounds insane that someone could do this or would even try to do this. Uh, They had it in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia um, (laughs) where Charlie Day hallucinates and sees because they're trying to do it on a flight and he hallucinates and Wade Boggs is suddenly sitting next to them telling him to be a champion and drink more beers. I mean, look, Ryan, you're very open about, um, (laughs) where's this going? Okay. You're very open about, you know, things of your past. You're the only person I know who's right here that maybe, maybe tried this at one point. Like, is this possible? Could someone drink 64 beers? I'm an expert, okay? Let's put it that way. That's what my son says now. Anytime he does something well, I say, great job. He's like, I'm an expert, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm an expert, all right? 64 beers, all right, is a lot. Um, I've, I've, I used to play golf when I was drinking, and it, it was either we were playing to compete and score or we were playing to drink and play golf, right? Have fun. So that meant usually a beer a hole. Um, in the hot sun, uh, and it, you know, so cold and tastes so good going down Bud Light spot here, everybody, oh, cold Bud Light on a hot Vegas day in the sunshine. Right. And I probably, probably 18 beers and 18 holes. Right. But that's, that's over the course of four four and a half. We have four, four and a half hours. Right. I mean, but to, to drink a beer, I mean, to pound one beer, I mean, to do that consecutively, you just get bloated and bloated and bloated to do 64 beers in six hours is absolutely insane. I told you guys before, I'd have to, you know, to get me on a horse, you'd, I'd have to pound 64 beers, right? To, <laughs> to be on a horse after a, a game. Um, I've never tried it, so I, I can't speak to like, oh, this is un- impossible. You know, maybe he had a, maybe he had a, a hollow leg, right? It yeah, just, maybe, yeah. just disappeared on him. Uh, there are stories of alcoholics who have been able to drink like, gallons and gallons of vodka so i mean if if someone's got a a tendency to overdo it uh the funny part about this whole story is and the it was the premise of always sunny in philadelphia is that they were going to take a crosstown flight try to drink the 64 beers sleep on it and then wake up and go to the batting cages and see if they could hit a (laughs) a ball (laughs) because that's what wade got up the next morning probably went three for four yeah hit 360 right (laughs) So that's the bigger story. I'd love to. Uh, I mean, he's 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 embellished the story even more. He he, there's a statement out there that he ended up that that day ended up being around 107 beers. Yeah, because he drank 60 on the flight, and then when they landed, they went out at night, and then he just kept going. Yeah, and then you know, obviously they played the next day. 
Well, it also probably depends on what you're drinking, right? I mean, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, if you're drinking you know, Bud water, Light or Bud Light or, or Miller, Miller Light, or Light there's or... some watered down things. But I mean, yeah, yeah. CLs. That that's a lot of booze. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of booze. All right, that's so like basically a case, you know, a twelve pack an hour. Sixty four. Oh God, I drink. I drink. I hydrate like crazy. Right, you guys know that. I drink 12 bottles of 17-ounce water during the day, which is around 204 ounces of water every day. That's right. that's my average. Some days I'm 230, depends on what I'm doing. Some days I'm 175 yeah. or something like that. But that's a lot of water. The RL-16 diet over there. And the RL-16. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and uh, it's... And when you sit down, like at the end of the day, like when, when you're done eating around five or six and you've drank that all water all day, and when you sit down, the end day is kind of winding down. That's when your body catches up to you. And then like from six until 10 o'clock at night, I probably, you know, too much information people, I probably piss like, you know, 15 times from six to 10 o'clock. <laughs> so if somebody's on a flight where you're not moving, right, where you're sitting there pummeling, just Pounding, just pounding beers and fried pounding chicken. beers, doing nothing, just doing you know twelve ounce curls all the way through the flight with a with a with a Hall of Fame mustache and probably having to deal with things with people. You 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 go and uh, you use that restroom. He probably lived in the restroom. I'm surprised he just didn't bring beers to the restroom. <laughs> yeah, so to put it in perspective, a mini keg, fourteen cans. Cornelius keg, fifty three cans. A sixth of a barrel, fifty six cans. Quarter barrel. 82. So you're doing like a keg of beer. So he drank a keg of beer. Like literally, like the question is, it's like the sixth. The question is, who kept serving him? Yeah, where'd the beer come? He had to have brought all of that. That's that's the storyline in Always Sunny. They brought their own beers on the flight. So they had like a pillowcase full of just beers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> does that fit in the overhead compartment? Exactly. And you, this this isn't a show you have, have watched. You haven't I, yeah, watched Always Sunny. I, yeah, have I you guys been an Always Sunny stuff. fan? I, I've watched a few episodes. It's funny. I haven't watched all of them. Michael? <clears throat> no. And so I should. So during the pandemic here, during the pandemic, I, you know, I rewatched some things. I mean, we were home a ton. I was watching a lot of streaming things. I rewatched the Seinfeld series, which was amazing. I rewatched The Office, which you can get on Peacock, everybody, The Office. Um... Uh, love that. And I started watching Always Sunny from the beginning. And it's so old that it's in like it's in the four by three oh, framing. Four by three. Yes. That's amazing. That's how old it is. They've done like 17 or 18 seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And Danny DeVito isn't part of the initial group. Right. He 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 comes along and that show, I'll play I'll put it on at night when I go to sleep and just kind of, you know, fall asleep to it. But sometimes they are so hilarious and so funny that I end up staying up and watching three or four or five episodes going, what's going on here? It's, it's, it's tremendous on, on how well it's written. And some of the storylines are just outrageous, just absolutely outrageous. And this is one of them where he talks about uh, trying to make the cross-country trip uh, of drinking 64 beers and then hitting a fastball. So um, <laughs> so what? Your, our final conclusion here is not possible? Final conclusion. Unlikely? Unless you have a real problem and probably belong in a rehab facility not possible he went out and went three for four the next day probably not uh actually happened i would go as far as saying he he pounded maybe it's the opposite maybe he did 30 like have like like yeah ripped a 30 pack or something maybe he did uh yeah maybe he did 34 yeah even at that even at 64 beers that would still leave him 
92 beers short of Andre the Giant's record <laughs> right. of 156 beers. In one and Andre's the goat, and I believe that. Yeah, I believe that, that. I do believe that's one of the like most amazing photographs of Andre holding a beer can. <laughs> it looks like one of those. Just it like looks like yeah. it looks like I'm watching the Avengers when uh, yeah. the Hulk hands uh, Paul Rudd the tacos in his hand, and they're just like these miniature tacos in his hand. When the Hulk hands them to Paul Rudd, they're these huge, big tacos in Paul Rudd's hand. Yeah. Ant Man, clearly, that was the perfect juxtaposition. Uh, Marvel Universe fans out there. Um, so I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm going to say no. We'd love to know your answers, everybody, on whether or not this was actually a possibility. Is it fun to believe it to be true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what, you know, the kind of urban myths and urban legends I do know are, if I watched for. it happen, if I was a witness to it, when we walked off the plane in Los Angeles, I would have grabbed Wade and said, okay, we're going to go get you some help. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, going, okay. we're, we're going to Malibu. and We're, we're going, going to go to Malibu. I know a place. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll see you in 90 days. <laughs> But I got a hit tonight. Yeah. Leaf? I'm batting leadoff. Jim Rice needs me. <laughs> oh, man, those were the days. Jim Rice needs me to bat 300. You know, they tell you, Mr. Leaf, that uh, uh, it's the one sport when you fail. Uh, 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Hall of Fame. You're a Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame. Well, I'm a Hall of Fame drinker. And away we go. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound like anything like Wade Box. What did I just do? That was nothing. Um... All righty. So we want to thank Rich Lerner uh, from the Golf Channel who joined us to talk about the U.S. Open. Phil Mickelson's chances, 70 to 1 odds. He gave us some other insight uh, into the Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau pseudo feud that's going on. Uh, we'd like to thank Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press Gazette who joined us to talk about all things Green Bay, the, the, the Jordan Love uh, Aaron Rodgers scenario. We heard Aaron Rodgers comment today on his uh, on the Zoom with the uh, around his golf outing with Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, and Bryson. Uh, and then we had John Wertheim on to talk about the French Open and his new book uh, Glory Days, which was very interesting around uh, Naomi Osaka as well as uh, the great win by Novak Djokovic, who is creeping closer and closer to taking over the all-time winningest record in Grand Slams with 19. And then we just had Frank Isola on from SiriusXM NBA Radio to talk about the NBA playoffs. James Harden, everybody. Uh, it looks like uh, he's going to be a game-time decision tonight. Depends on how warm-ups go. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. I was thinking about this, guys, in terms of um, um, of what um, John uh, Wertheim had talked to us about in his book, right, 1984 and some of those things. Also, culturally, the Karate Kid came out that year. Uh, and uh, it's kind of what um, sparked uh, children's martial arts mm -hmm. and getting into karate like that. And we're seeing that resurgence right now with the Netflix streamed show, uh, Cobra oh, Kai. Great show. Right? Great show. Uh, it's my childhood that's kind of come back. And I think for the longest time, I, I likened myself uh, to Daniel LaRusso. I thought I was him. Turns out, uh, I was more Johnny Lawrence, I think, <laughs> growing up in my time. I was uh, the prototypical kind of 80s uh, villain when I walked into parties on campus in college, right? I was, 
Uh, I'm there to drink your beer, take your girls, <laughs> take your girl, yeah, and go home and punch that you in was, the mouth. Yeah, I, I wasn't the one punching the mouth. I let the old lineman deal with that. I would talk, I would talk the trash, and then let the uh, 320 pounders step in and do like, it. So, like like Burl Durham, you don't hit someone with your throwing hand. Never, never, never. And you always get their helmet off and use it to beat them with it when it's a football fight. That's what our offensive line coach taught us. Back in the day. Um, this has been a gang. Hey, great job, Ryan. Appreciate yeah. you, man. A it's wonderful uh, a show. As always, i like to thank Rich Eisen, who's celebrating with his son and his family today. Again, thank you. Incredibly grateful for this opportunity. Thank you to all the guests today. Thank you to Ben Nygaard for setting it all up. Thank you for Mike Hoskins filling in for... Uh, um, uh, for Don uh, Bowie. Um, I can't think of Don right Bowie. Now. Yeah, Don Bowie. Thank you all. I'm Ryan Lee filling in for the Rich Eye for Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen show. We'll see you soon.